Good morning, all, and welcome to this week's episode of the CEO MomCast, another week with our New York Fashion Week in conjunction with Modern Day Wife. I do have with me today Navina. She is the founder behind, my French is going to fail me here, but La Butte Fatale. Wow, <laughs> you did a great job. Oh, well, thank you. You know, they make you take French all the way through school. And I'm like, I'm going to butcher this. My, my tone is never quite what it's supposed to be, but you did a great job. So thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Nev so she can tell us about her business and how she got started. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So my business is all about educating women, men, and everyone in between about the harmful chemicals that are most commonly found in makeup brands. So for many years, brands have been able to really put any type of ingredients that they want in their products. And the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, does actually not provide any rules or regulations or a vetting process around brands in terms of, you know, the chemicals or what they are not allowed to use. So um, when I was working as a buyer for a major drugstore retailer, I was in charge of building out the assortment that sat on the cosmetics wall. And it was then that I realized that a lot of brands were kind of skipping out on the quality of their products so that the products could live on the shelf for a longer period of time. Um, And it was then that I decided to launch my own brand and really disrupt the market. Um, I've been in business with my cosmetics brand for about six years, six, seven years. And in the beginning of the launch, you know, in the first year, we sold over a million units. Um, And in two years, we were well over 1.3 million units. So it just kind of goes to show you that customers were waiting for more of a natural type of makeup brand and that they really are truly interested in gravitating towards brands that have um, a more ethical mission statement. And, you know, at this point in the beauty industry, we've been able to partner with New York Fashion Week designers who are really educating their audiences on why they should be more sustainable with their beauty products. So that's my recap. And I am pro anything that's natural. I only use clean ingredients on my skin. And I have to admit, before this introduction through The Modern Day Wife, I hadn't heard of your brand before? Are you strictly online or are you in stores? Yeah. So we're actually online only right now. Um, We felt that we could actually have a better relationship with the customer and control what they are learning when we go direct. So at this time, we've decided strategically not to go into retail. I think when you go into retail as, you know, the founder and the CEO of this company, what happens is you kind of lose your brand in a sense. You um, have to you have to discount the product significantly. You're kind of at the mercy of the retailer's strategies. And you know, in terms of wanting to make sure that we grow our customer base, we decided to stay e-com only. We have received a lot of interest from Target, Walmart, Walgreens. I mean, uh, we've spoken to a lot of the retailers, but. In terms of finding the right strategic partner, we just we have not gone the retail route just for, you know, the, the reasons that I mentioned and to be able to have a shorter shelf life. Um, a lot of brands in retail, li- their products can live on the shelf for five to 10 years. 
And that means that those products have a lot of preservatives. Um, our products only have a shelf life of six months and that's due to the natural ingredients. So in the event that we were to go into retail, you know, we would probably have to reconfigure our formulations and um, kind of abide by some of those longer times that the product needs to live in the store. I understand 100%. And, and you are right, because one of the brands that I consistently buy, which I discovered online, is now sold in Target. And it's hard to differentiate it from other products in the store. Absolutely. If I you mean, don't I can... pick it up and read the bottle and know what ingredients are in it and what you're using, then it's just like picking up anything else on the shelf there. There's no section saying it's ethical, sustainable, anything like that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's pros and cons to both types of strategies in terms of what type of channel you want your brand to play in. Um, I think at some point, you know, going into retail is inevitable. But as you think about COVID and a lot of things that happened on the e-com side of the business, we really had, you know, this really strong upward slope of customers leaning into lip and brow online. And, you know, that led us to be able to really continue gaining market share from our competitors. But furthermore, we were protected from the decline in sales that other brands were seeing in their brick and mortar partnerships. Um, a lot of retailers also began canceling purchase orders when COVID took off. A lot of product got stuck at the port um, due to a lot of manufacturers closing down and um, you know, just a lot of different things going on in the United States. So COVID taught a lot of us about how to really make sure that you're protecting your brand and really making sure that your entrance into retail is, you know, is it fully protected or are you at risk for economic or market changes that could have a negative impact on your business? Yes, no, COVID was definitely huge for every industry. I don't think there is a single industry out there that's not rebounding in some way, but retail definitely took the hardest hit. And I think it's still, you know, pivoting. It's thinking that shoppers are coming back and we're trying to, but online shopping is so much easier. I'm yeah, getting everything exactly. dropped at your door. So much easier. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I wish that I could, you know, kind of solve for the fact that in beauty and in cosmetics, customers don't like to purchase foundations or powders or concealers online. And, you know, they need to be able to test it. They want to put it on their skin and make sure that the shade matches perfectly. A lot of other brands are doing kind of digital skin tone matching with their products. Um, but there is, of course, a margin of error there when you go digital. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. For the most part, people want to be able to shop at home when they have time on their phones. Um, and I think that's why there are specific categories for us that do really well, like lip and brow, mascaras, eyeliners. But then we have those other categories that aren't as appealing to the online customer, where in retail, you would have people, if you put samples out or testers, you would have a higher turn rate on, you know, foundations and powders and concealers because of that element of touching, feeling, smelling, and being able to match your skin tone perfectly. So it's all about the ebbs and flows and making sure you, you kind of know how you want to execute to your customer. 
Now, tell us how you balance this all, because as I was reading your bio, I see that you attend quite a few fashion weeks. So it's got to be busy to manage the business side, still participating in things like this in your personal life. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. You could probably pick up on the fact that I'm a little stressed out and battling a cold right now because I'm actually leaving for New York tonight. Um, We're going to be attending a lot of the fashion shows. And so you're right. The question of balance is something that I have not yet figured out. Um, I think the best way I go about my day, because I am a mom of two boys um, and I have the cosmetics company, I'm also a realtor and I do a few other things with like investment properties and things like that. Um, I guess the best way I am able to manage my day is prioritize what needs to get done during the day. And I also try to lean into hours when everyone's asleep, you know, early morning hours, late night hours, where I can really just sit down and think critically, come up with plans and roadmaps. But at the end of the day, I think as a founder and as a CEO, that level of stress will always be there. And it's the part of owning a business or being an entrepreneur that not a lot of people talk about, you know, A lot of people glorify being an entrepreneur and having your own company because of the benefits that are very common. But to your point, you know, the balance is something that is not a lot of people anticipate having that challenge. And it can be very difficult to navigate your social life with your career and the other things that you have going on in your life. So my best advice is you know, making your list, prioritizing properly and making sure that you're protecting your mental health and, you know, really carving out time for free time and being able to really do what makes you happy. Because without that, you know, you can really start making some bad decisions when it comes to your business, being overtired and, you know, not eating, not sleeping. And, and I think that that's the part of entrepreneurship that we need to talk about more, especially as women, Because whether you are a mother that has children or you're a mother to a pet or you're an aunt mother to your nephew or niece or whatever it may be, um, we all are very strong women who take on superhero tasks and sometimes you need a break. So um, hats off to all the women out there who, you know, are doing it all. But at the end of the day, definitely need to lean into that balance and, and find a way to navigate it. That's one thing I love about always asking this question because I it's getting over strep throat because, you know, I third shift and I'm with the kids and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and it's, it's awesome to see the brutal honesty because I don't think we see enough of it. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's the real big part that I wish someone would have kind of sat me down and talked about of, you know, it's great to lean in and, and really go hard and make sure that you're building a career for yourself. But, you know, and there are long-term positive impacts of that. But, you know, in the years where you have a lot going on, you really just want to make sure that you're maintaining your level of happiness. And so, like you said, you know, your immune system and and staying healthy and staying on top of everything that you need to do can be a struggle. 
Um, and I think you're right. The more people talk about it, the more that we can be there for each other. And even the fact that you asked this question today, I really needed someone to kind of bring this up today, to be honest, because today was definitely one of those days where I'm hopping from meeting to meeting and getting my list done and getting everything ready for fashion week. And so it just kind of makes me feel better to hear that other people feel the same thing throughout the day and that everyone's kind of in it together. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I keep joking. I'm going to write a book about us not having our shit together and people need to stop having that expectation. I think we're, I think we're slowly getting it. You know, you see the celebrities out looking like crap, not, not everybody can have it together all the time. We try, but uh, something's got to give <laughs> It's what you want to give on. Absolutely. It's funny because on LinkedIn, I always um, see posts about people saying, stop glorifying overworking. And so, you know, if you think about corporate, right, like a lot of people think that it looks good if you're putting in more hours or if you're working on the nights and weekends. And what ends up happening is people begin to think that that's the norm. So a lot of the LinkedIn posts out there are trying to get people to change the way they're thinking and say, actually, overworking is should not be over should not be glorified. And what actually should be glorified is taking a few hours out of the day to go for a walk or go eat a healthy meal or spend time with your children or whatever it may be that makes you happy. And when you come back, you're definitely a lot more productive. Um, and so it's just, it's funny that we're talking about this because I feel like every time I open up my LinkedIn, I see those posts and I always stop and read them because it's that constant reminder that I love to see. Now, um, just to say along the whole balance uh, support system, do you have a team that works for you, a team that travels with you? Yeah, so for New York Fashion Week this season, we decided to go ahead and build a team of makeup artists, hairstylists, personal assistants, and photographers. So for Fashion Week this um, fall winter, um, we have a team of 70 individuals that um, I've kind of been training, coaching, mentoring, and building to be a part of my team. Um, that was a really strategic decision for me because I wanted to pull fashion design students from Parsons New School of New York. Um, they're design students, fashion design, marketing, management, merchandising students, photography students. And in a time where layoffs are just this really hot topic on LinkedIn, I wanted to be able to give students the opportunity to be backstage and build their resume and give them exposure to shows that they wouldn't know how to book on their own because they're very coveted positions. We also teamed up with two other local schools, cosmetology schools, and are giving cosmetologists um, the ability to be backstage with us as well. So giving back to the community and making sure that, you know, I'm available to be a personal ref uh, reference, professional reference and giving recommendations when they have jobs coming up is a really strategic part of me building a team. But furthermore, you know, throughout COVID, we had to, we had to kind of scale back because we weren't quite sure how it was going to impact the business. And so at that time, I didn't have, you know, that strong of a support system in terms of employees and interns and volunteers and students, et cetera. But what I will say is that the motivation and the passion in my team of 70 people is so inspiring and so motivating. They get to the point where when they hear about these opportunities, they're crying on the phone. And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. I never thought I would get there. And so 
for me, all the hard work pays off when I can see that these students or these entry-level professionals are able to really launch and have, you know, a launching pad based on what we're doing together. So I'm super excited to have that support system. And they always come forward with such great ideas that I don't even have time to think of, the, the time to think of. So it's it's definitely this kind of, um, you know, this balance between me providing them with opportunities, but them also coming forward with things that are so beneficial to my business that I'm so grateful for. That's awesome. And that's a huge undertaking to take on, um, especially with you not being in New York, getting these people trained and ready to go. Um, now, is New York Fashion Week the only one you're doing this year, as I, there were others mentioned on your website? Yeah. So um, for this specific season, we're leaning into New York. We have been in conversations with other designers um, that that show in Paris and London. <clears throat> and at this time, we decided to to stick with New York. I think the hard part, as you think about going international when it comes to those fashion houses, is they do things very different. And it's uh, I what I learned was it's this whole other level of building and planning that I think, you know, we, we definitely want to tap into it. We've started to scratch the surface and have those conversations and we're building relationships with the designers who show in Paris and London. But in terms of actually getting out there and being the sponsor and being a part of their backstage process, we can we need to continue learning about their culture, how they show, why they show, who they work with, the language. And so it's been a learning experience and we're excited, hopefully at the end of 2023, to officially be a part of some of those uh, couture houses in other countries. That's amazing. And that's um that's huge. Like, did you ever think when you started out that this is going to be the way that you were going? It's so funny you said that because this morning I was flipping through some old photos and I came up uh, upon a picture of me at Fashion Week in 2014. I was young. I was right out of, you know, fashion school and didn't have a, a good paying job. And I remember trying to scoop up funds to get to New York Fashion Week. And I was an unpaid volunteer for Custo Barcelona and a bunch of other designers. And I was looking at those photos and that's the question I asked myself. I stopped and thought to myself, what was going on in my mind? Did I, manif did I manifest where I am today? And I remember back then I would look around at all the editors and publicists and the press and the celebrities. I remember Nigel Barker was in at, at one of the shows sitting in the front row. And I do believe that I was putting this positive energy of, I can get there, I can do this, I wanna be a part of this industry. So I think I just didn't know how, and I didn't know what my role was gonna be. And so it took you know, about 10 years to be able to carve out where my expertise can really be a part of the New York Fashion Week process. So yeah, it's just funny you said that because today I definitely had those thoughts. And I think all throughout my early career, I definitely knew where I wanted to go. I just didn't know exactly what it would look like and in what form. Um, and I think the same goes for the next five to 10 years. I've been trying to spend time thinking about what it is I want to do and what would make me happy in the next chapter of my life. And I'm really trying to lean into, you know, meditation and, and manifestation and just putting positive energy towards dreams and aspirations that I've never thought were possible, but that definitely can come to fruition. 
So since you brought it up, where do you see your business in five years? Yeah. So when I first launched, I originally wanted to sell it to one of the bigger names. And these last couple of weeks, I had calls with investors and equity partners, and I was doing some research on selling the business. To be honest, I was just kind of poking around. And it was funny, I had a call with an individual who worked in corporate retail for a very large beauty retailer, beauty specialty retailer, who started his own brand. And he sold it for a significant amount of money within four years. He had a very similar structure to my brand where, you know, he was teaming up with certain very well-known names um, and leaning into that audience. And when I had a call with him to just kind of talk a little bit about how he did things and he, you know, he was mentoring me. It was funny. He said, I want my brand back. I want to buy it back. I sold it, but now I regret it. And a few days later, I had another conversation with an individual who told me, who gave me the same advice. He had sold a different company that he had in a, in a different market. And many, many years later, he regretted it. So it's funny in the next five to 10 years, I thought I would be at a place where I wanted to sell the business and just sit on the board. But I think um, at this point today, I'm thinking more about building my brand to a level that I never thought was possible, not giving up any equity and potentially beginning to start new businesses and kind of spread my income or my investments into different businesses and just um, be able to kind of have this robotic structure of different businesses that are running on their own um, so that in the next five to 10 years, I can take a step back and sit on the board of my own companies um, and really be able to be at that leadership level. Um, And I think that that's kind of what my plans are for the next five to 10 years. So that's good. Working smarter, not harder. (laughs) Seems to be everybody's advice these days. Absolutely. Right. I, I think that that's a, that's definitely a good way to think about things. And I need to write that down and remind myself that every morning. So that's definitely a good way to think of things. I think it has to be the goal these days. Like you said, you know, the the gone are the days of 16, 18 hour work days are not what's in anymore. People have to learn to work smarter, not harder. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of us as a family moving more towards warm weather, we used to live in a state where there was, you know, the four seasons, but I think I've taken definitely taken a step towards that by relocating to a state where we constantly have warm weather, because what I noticed is the days where I am very busy, I do want that positive feeling, the positive feelings of the weather and the sun. And so I think I'll continue to lean into that and really just make sure that, like you said, that in the times where I can scale back, that I'm enjoying and not pushing myself too far. Right. Now, what is one thing you learned in starting this business, good or bad? Basically, some advice that you give to somebody starting out in the field. Yeah, so I get a lot of questions from people asking if I can help mentor them on how to start a business, because that's something that they aspire to do. And a lot of times when I have those discussions with individuals, I always ask them, are you ready to invest your savings? Are you ready to be the one person in your social circle that's not spending money on vacations or purses or designer shoes or whatever it may be and redirect that funding into a risk? And 
you know, I think a lot of times that's where people stop. And what I learned when I first began this business was I thought I could build a business off of just a low investment, but at some point you become so passionate about your business that you want that the funding you put in is the air that gives your business. It's the, the air your business gets to breathe and to continue surviving. So the one thing that I wish people talked more about is the sacrifice of time and the sacrifice of your own funding, unless you decide to pull out business loans, which also is very stressful because a lot of times you have to personally back those business loans. So yeah, that's, that's typically the one thing that I ask people is, are you ready to pull your you know money from your paychecks or whatever income you have coming in and redirect it? Um, while it is a benefit and it helps you become bigger and better in terms of your business, sometimes you feel like you're a little bit behind everyone else because, you know, around you, people are using their, their, their income for different things that could be luxurious. So I think that's the one thing that I've learned. The one thing that I tried to also put forward when having discussions about owning your own business. Um, but nonetheless, I think there's nothing better than investing in yourself. So if you are going to make the commitment you're really just saying to yourself that I believe in myself so much to the point that the funding and the income and the money that I'm putting forth doesn't hold as much value as the value I have of myself and what I'm capable of doing. So I think that's also another reminder as well. That's a great answer. And one I've never received before, you know, you get the whole, you're going to make mistakes, make sure you get a mentor, things like that, which are all important, but I don't think anybody ever really sits down and thinks that I could potentially drain my savings account and this may not work out. You have to be able to take the gamble. And like you said, you have to be willing to be in a period of life where you're willing to cut back people don't think about that. There's no vacations. There's no this, there's no that there's no time. So I guess making sure you're in a good mental space and getting prepared for it instead of just diving in is really the best thing to do. Yeah. And I think I like how you said the point about making mistakes. I think I do hear that a lot. So that does resonate with me as well. I think that it, from my perspective, I try not to even think about them as mistakes, because even if you were to have another full-time job, that's not your business, you're always going to, in some way, make a mistake, even though it's not a true mistake, it's a protected mistake because you're working for another business, but it's always going to be a learning channel and a way for you to become better. So yeah, I, I try not to even tell myself that I've made any mistakes, to be honest with you, um, just because I don't want to view anything that I've done as a mistake. So yeah, I, I think that's a, a really valid point. I hear that a lot um, from people in business where they say, oh, you're, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to, you know, um, kind of fall on your butt and you're, you're going to always kind of have these things that you did wrong, but just hang in there and I try not to even let my mind go there, to be honest, because I think that if you're an entrepreneur, um, I don't think you're really making mistakes in a sense. You're just kind of navigating the journey. And sometimes it takes different paths to get to your end goal. 
And so your journey may not be what you anticipated, but it may not necessarily even be a mistake either. So that's kind of the way I try to navigate my thoughts on that topic. That's a good way to look at it because you are right. I mean, you can label them mistakes or you can label them learning experiences either way. You got to just keep going forward. Now with you attending and being behind the scenes at New York Fashion Week, what is a current trend for this year in the fashion and beauty industry that you see? Yeah. So I guess a few things I've, I began seeing this really red, this hot red color that's popping up um, in terms of like being color of the year. So I'm seeing a lot of red popping up in, in fall, winter in terms of the Pantone colors, which has been really cool to see. But when we think about makeup trends, I'm beginning to see kind of this node to the, to the past, um, leaning into different, um, decades leaning into different trends that we've seen many, many years ago that people may have taken for granted. So like the disco era, the club kids era, um, you know, I think people are leaning into those types of eras as inspiration and really trying to bring it back. I feel like that's very common in the fashion industry. You typically see the trends kind of make their way, um, you know, back every 10, 15, 20 years. But furthermore, what I've also noticed is that the countries that surround the United States are playing a really strong influence in the designers' collections. So now you're beginning to see that New York Fashion Week is elevating from, in the past, it used to be a little bit more mass or mainstream targeted. But now we're seeing that New York Fashion Week post-COVID is leaning more into like the couture houses and really taking things to the next level when it comes to and their collections. So I think that that's also a trend that I'm beginning to see that I'm really embracing and I think will have a really long lasting impact on New York Fashion Week as a whole. Do you see uh, just something that I've noticed more so with the, you know, comfort leisure wear that's been huge for the past few years with COVID? Are you seeing more people getting away from couture fashion and more mainstream? May not necessarily be cheap, may still be high end, but... I, I remember when I was in high school and in my early 20s, you couldn't look at a fashion magazine without it being Dior, Louis Vuitton, all those names. And it feels like you're seeing them less and less in a bigger pool of designers. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, I think people are gravitating more towards like smaller businesses or companies that have a message are they sustainable? Are they giving back to the community? And so people are becoming a little bit more sophisticated with their purchase behaviors. I think when it comes to influencing, I think couture and high fashion is always going to be there. But the role it plays in people's everyday life will fluctuate. So to your point, we go through these ebbs and flows where couture and high fashion is kind of this prominent message that is leading the, you know, the masses or influencing people. But as the market changes and as the industry goes through new need states and introducing new things like more natural or sustainable or whatever it may be, you know, donating sponsorships, giving it, giving back to the community, we definitely see a shift in purchase behavior. Um, I think at the end of the day, people always have an emotional connection to their purchases when it comes to like the higher dollar amounts. That's what makes them feel like they're successful. That's what justifies their hard work. 
But at the same time, those price points also have began to teach customers that these businesses also are making a lot of money. They're generating a lot of revenue and profits. So what customers are looking for are, I'll pay $1,500 for a purse, but what are you as the company doing to take a piece of that profit and do something good? And um, I think that if couture houses and fashion designers keep that at the forefront of their minds, that industry will never fade. But it's like you said, there's just this fine line between our, you know, our society becoming more educated, more intelligent and having these new thoughts, being more outspoken and really wanting to make sure that whatever they're spending their money on, that they have a positive connection to it. I love that explanation because it's it gives you the whole psychological aspect of it to really understand people and their purchasing behavior. And you are hundred percent correct. I mean, these fashion houses have been around some of them for almost a hundred years. They're not going anywhere. Um, it may just be time for a rebrand. Louie might need to start uh, giving some of his red bottom money to, <laughs> to a charity just to justify the price tag, you know? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think that's what people are looking for. I mean, I know that's what I look for too. You know, I, I definitely lean more towards those types of companies and brands um, makes you feel better. And for those who are too busy to be able to pick out their own charities or find ways to donate, they're looking for those quick and easy ways to be a part of the community and feel that they've done their contributions. True. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. Well, Nevin, it has been great chatting with you this today. Uh, best of luck at New York Fashion Week. Sounds like you're going to be super busy. So I hope that you get to enjoy some of it and are able to attend the Modern Day Wife event. Um, and yes, for all my listeners, please check out the about me section on the CEO Momcast website for La Butte Fatale. Um, there is also the Instagram page, which leads you right to the website, which shows all of her products, everything that she's involved in. Um, and it is definitely worth a look. It's not something you can go through in 30 seconds. Trust me, I tried. There's tons of pages and you really want to make sure you check everything out, especially if you're like me and you like the what's next in new clean makeup and uh, body care. Thank you so much. It's been such a great pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate your kindness and your openness. And thank you so much for having me. This has been such a great part of my day. So I'm appreciative to you.